0: I want to read two verses from Paul's letter to the Galatians at chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Jesus is the reason for the season. Put Christ back into Christmas. Yeah, I I know it's only me, but these are the kind of slogans, just examples of slogans that have been used by Christians to counter the trend in society that each Christmas we, we forget what's most important. Each Christmas, the focus seems to be on cards, on gifts, on parties, on food, on what we're drinking, and the reason for the season is forgotten. Christ is pushed out of Christmas. But, hey, that's not just a failing of the world around us. Um, I think too often that's the case for church folk as well. Too often it's the gifts, the parties, the other events that take up our main effort and interest and attention, and not the fact of God's great gift of a Savior come to us. But not only at Christmas, it's all too easy, all year round, for us to lose a Jesus focus. Really? Ask yourself this. How focused, how explicit has my experience of church been on our becoming more Christ-like? How much emphasis have I put on becoming more like Jesus day by day? Now, I know, and I'm sure you know, too, what's the correct answer to these, but only a casual glance is needed in the direction of the church today to see that while becoming more Christ-like is something that we might say that we're about, when it comes to living that out, when it comes to putting that into practice, we've not done so well. It's a criticism that I, we hear from time to time from folks in, in society beyond the church saying things like, well, you know, I really like Jesus. I can get interested in Jesus. It's the church I don't like. Now, I think sometimes people say that just as a way of, of pushing it to the side. They, they're saying they like the Jesus that, that they think exists, as opposed to the Jesus of the gospel. But sometimes there's substance. It's it's something that people say, and, and in this case there's no smoke without a fire. There's some substance to the fact that somehow we have not portrayed, shown the way and the love of Christ to the world around us. And part of the reason for that, part of the problem is that too few of us explicitly acknowledge and focus, and work at becoming more Jesus-like day by day. <clears throat> for most days, we might go to bed at night thinking we've had a good day, if we've been happy that we've had a conversation with family members or friends, we've maybe enjoyed a meal, maybe the sun was shining when we were taking the dogs for a walk, or, or whatever. Maybe we've gone through a day at work without being too stressed. Well, oh, it's been fine. It's been a good day. And so, that happens the next day or the day after that, and where then has our Christian growth gone? Aim at nothing, and that's exactly what you hit. So, unless we aim to grow in Christlikeness, unless we choose to work at becoming more like Jesus, then it won't happen. It doesn't happen. And that's what's affected. That's what's infected so much of the church's impact, the church's witness, in the world around us. We've not grown the life of Christ sufficiently that that's what the world sees in us. And in this time of lockdown, of challenges right, left, and center, this time when there's been threats to and questioning of our lifestyle in the Western world, I'm convinced that one of the best gifts that the church can give to the world is to show a more Jesus way, to live more fruitfully for Jesus. A lot of people's assumed certainties, a lot of people's taken for granted are under threat, and people don't need some quick facile solution about a new way of life. They don't need us to simply shout at them, Jesus is the answer, when they're not quite sure what is the question. They need the church to show something of a different way of being, show something of a different lifestyle, show something of an alternative, a Jesus way of life and living. Now, that's one reason why we're spending these Sundays looking at the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5, and the verses that I read a few moments ago. And notice in the verse 22, Paul says, fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. He doesn't think it's okay for us to have some of the fruits and not others. He doesn't think it's okay for us to have some gentleness, to have some faithfulness, a wee bit of kindness, and, well, that's our orchard full enough or busy enough. No, he's saying that if the life of Christ grows in, as if the Holy Spirit is bringing the work and the ways of Jesus into fruition in our lives, we will see all nine flavors. We will see all nine of these different fruit growing together. Now, he said last Sunday that if someone's a Christian, then they have the Holy Spirit with them. That's the gospel promise. We, We believe, we turn to God, we receive the Spirit. There are no Christians who do not have the Holy Spirit. There are no people with the Holy Spirit who are not Christians. It's the Spirit of Christ who is given to us, and given to all Christians. And one of the ways that we know that someone is a Christian, and we know that we are Christians, that we know that the Spirit is with us, is when the fruit of the Spirit grows— Now, that's not just something that we sit back and let the Holy Spirit do for us. Oh, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit will see to that, and I don't have to bother. Not so. I mean, one of the the nine, the last that Paul mentions is self-control. That in itself is quite clear that it's not a case of sitting back and letting it happen to us. No, we've got gardening work to do. We have to learn how to tend and prune, how to irrigate the field, how to keep birds and squirrels away, how to watch out for blight and for mold, how to remove parasites and, and weeds that suck the life out of the plant, and so on. We have to ensure there's enough feeding for the fruit to grow and appear. Now, a farmer has to do these things for his crop to grow. But the farmer has not provided the life. The farmer has worked at giving the right help and the right conditions for the harvest, but the life itself was what God has made. Similarly, in our lives, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit's life. But also, as well as that, we need ourselves working at feeding, tending, pruning, fighting off disease, and so on. Not so that we become better at love, joy, peace, and so on for their own sake, but so that we can grow in becoming more like Jesus. For that is what every Christian is called to be, and to become more like Jesus. And so, we started the series on the food of the Spirit last week, looking at love, the first on the list, and today we turn to joy. Now, that's not a word that many people beyond church associate with us. Maybe that's due to Christianity being portrayed as a a list of don't-dos, don't do this, don't do that, give up such and such. Or maybe it's because our style of things is or is seen as being dull. Or maybe it's because we don't give the impression ourselves that we have a good time in and with church, and that like everyone else, we just need to put that stuff to the side to go on out and truly enjoy ourselves. last week I was saying that we should learn to love one another, not just because it's a command, a basic command of the gospel, a command of Jesus, but also because love is who God is. And in a similar way, joy is not something that we should just simply be commanded to do, but joy is something that is the natural response to seeing God at work, to God's salvation being given to us and coming among us. Let's take Luke's gospel as an instance, as an example here. Luke's gospel begins with, with joy at the angels' announcements about the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus. John, while still in his mother Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy when Mary, who by this time is carrying Jesus, comes into the same room. There is joy in the Mary's song of response that passage we call the Magnificat, and then right through to the shepherds' praise after they've been to visit the Messiah. Joy, 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 all over the story. God is on the march. God is on the move. And then joy is the clear individual and social response that is marked out when Jesus announces in the synagogue in Nazareth who he is and what he's about He quotes from Isaiah chapter 61, and in Isaiah 61, we're told that that announcement of God's servant at work is a cause for joy. And we have that passage then in Luke chapter 4. And then further on, Luke chapter 10, when the disciples are first sent out to do Jesus' work, sent out in mission, they come back, we're told, full of joy, verse 17 of chapter 10, because they were joining with, they were collaborating in the Messiah's work. God's on the march. God's on the move. God's doing things. And the response? Joy. Joy, again, was underlined in the three parables about the lost in Luke chapter 15. Joy not just experienced on earth, but also, verses 7 and 10, in the heavenlies as well. Salvation found through the Messiah's ministry is a source of joy on earth and in heaven. And then, of course, joy is where Luke's gospel finishes, because joy is so present after the resurrection, but we're even told— chapter 24, at verse 41, that the disciples weren't very sure at first if they could believe Jesus because of joy. They were saying, this is too good to be true. Joy remained, verse 53 of that chapter, 24. Joy remained after Jesus' ascension, because although Jesus had gone, the work was going on, and the promise of the Holy Spirit was being made real. And so Luke took the story on, too, when he wrote a a second volume, the book that we know as the Acts of the Apostles. And again, from the earliest experience of the first church in Acts chapter 2, and through the mission going out across um, Jerusalem and Samaria, and then throughout the Roman Empire, joy, joy, joy is the outcome of seeing God at work. And so as the gospel was shared, as God's salvation was enjoyed By others, joy flowed. Now I want to turn um, to the Apostle Paul's writing one of his later letters to the church in Philippi, and Janice is going to read from us from Philippians chapter one.
1: Philippians chapter one, verses twelve to twenty six. whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Amen.
0: I want to highlight two things um, from that passage that Janice has just read. First, I want to say that joy is not necessarily just tied up with the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Paul is talking about joy in these verses, but at the same time, he tells us where he is. He's uh, in chains, verse 13. He's in prison. That is, he's not describing his joy or why the Philippian church is to be joyful, because everything is going well for them on the surface. Here is a missionary, here is an evangelist shut up in confinement. It's a bit like a concert pianist being asked to to play um, to an audience with his hands tied behind his back. How can I do it? I'm being being held back. I'm being restricted here. But Paul is joyful because gospel ministry is continuing. Brothers and sisters are speaking out and, and, and sharing faith. That is, Paul sees his own life, not just about himself, but in the bigger context of God's work in the world. For I know that through your prayers, he says, verse 19, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. See his enthusiasm? God's at work, God's purposes, and even if I'm in jail just now, it's going to work out somehow. I know not how yet. You see, it's not all about Paul. It's not about his fame or his safety or his comfort. The source of joy—and we saw that in this Luke's gospel—the source of joy is not in the personal circumstances, but in God's mission, God's salvation growing So the shepherds who'd been out in the field, greeted by the angels and given the news of joy, went down and saw the the newborn Jesus. And when they returned, we're told in chapter 2 of Luke, at verse 20, they were praising God. They were joyful. Aye, but they were still shepherds. They still had the rest of the night's work to do and tomorrow's work. It wasn't joy because suddenly they'd become magistrates and everything was working out brilliantly well for them they were going back to the same thing. But God had put that in a wider, bigger context that that said even this same thing is going to be different because the Messiah is here. Now, this is not to say that Christians should be such oddities that we have to be seen to be happy no matter what goes on. friend of mine, a number of years ago, and it was so many years ago, in fact, that uh, it was in the days when you, were, you could stand at uh, football matches. And this friend of mine was standing on the terracing at Pataudry, watching a game between Aberdeen and Celtic. And he had a couple of um, badges. It was the 70s. There was these badges that people sometimes were wearing when they were Christians. He had a couple of these stickers on his jacket saying that he was a Christian. And um, <clears throat> somebody came up to him some point in the second half, and said to my friend, are you a Christian? I am, said Stephen. Then why aren't you smiling, said the guy. Well, as he told me the story, Stephen said, what? Aberdeen are getting beat 3-1, and he says, why are you not smiling? Of course he wasn't smiling. But that didn't mean he would have nothing to smile about. It didn't mean that it would spoil the rest of his day or the rest of his weekend. He wasn't the kind of guy that would go home and send the kids to bed just because his team would get beat. We go through different experiences. Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus knew that Lazarus was about to be raised, but still there was a place for grief. In the face of death and bereavement. So, we're not saying here that Christians are supposed to be so unusual or bizarre that they don't feel hurt and soreness and so on. The Psalms give us many examples of believers wrestling with God, challenging, raging, questioning, and so on. But the resolution of these things in the Psalms comes when the psalmist begins to glimpse the bigger picture to see what is going on in his life is only a part of what God is doing and a part of who God is and what God is about. Jesus moved on from the sorrow about Lazarus to seeing that Jesus' own raising of Lazarus was to be a sign of God's salvation. So joy isn't just tied up with our circumstances. That's not saying that the same thing as saying, well, we should be odd and be happy no matter what's happening. But it is to say that our circumstances and our lives have to be seen in that context of of God's wider work, God's wider calling. That's the first thing. And the second thing from Philippians 1 is to say that joy is an essential part and integral to faith. Paul puts joy and progress in the faith together, verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Progress. Growing fruit and fruitfulness results in joy. Our Christian progress and joy in that progress should go hand in hand. And indeed, that's noted throughout the rest of the letter of the Philippians two Christians who are having a row and division between them. Paul says he wants unity. Then make my joy complete, he says, chapter 2, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Grow the fruit of understanding and reconciliation, and, 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 and I'll be happy. It will be a cause for joy. Seeing one another and and sharing uh, together in Jesus' work and mission, verses 17 and 18, too, were a cause for joy. Sharing gifts and service, Paul says at the end of that chapter, is a cause for joy. And even in chapter 4 includes the giving of monetary gifts. Giving money away to others for God's work is a pleasure. If it's for the extension of God's mission in the world— then giving makes us happy, right? Right? So, then, joy is not just personal, but joy comes when the Christian community together grows, both in number and in fellowship and unity. So, then, put these things together. Joy is not just tied up with our own circumstances at any one point in time. Joy is integral to faith— And joy is not about a particular way or style of doing things. One person's joyous time is another person's frivolity. One person's sense of decorum and showing respect is another person's dreariness. We're different. So joy is not found by us all being the same and doing things the same way. And the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit is not about a style of doing things— And nor is the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit something that we can work up by deciding to be happy. And yet, Paul does command the Philippians to be joyful. Verse 1 of chapter 3, "Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord.'" Or at the beginning of chapter 4, with which I began the service— Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. But notice the joy comes not by them saying, Right, I'm gonna make myself I'm gonna make myself happy, even if it kills me. The joy comes as they see who they are in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the First 1 of chapter 3, in the Lord. So that it's in Christ, in seeing who we are in Jesus, and seeing that Jesus has died and has risen, that Jesus is reigning for us, that the risen Jesus is interceding for us, seeing that the, the, the risen Jesus is preparing a place for us where we will experience God's eternity and all its fullness. It's through that identity and participation in Christ that we're given cause to joy— It is through our being touched by the hand of God, our readiness to see what God's doing in the world and commit ourselves to that, that joy comes. Joy comes from the experience of salvation, the privilege of being a son or daughter of the living God and being part of His work in the world. And we need to remind ourselves of these great gospel truths taught in the Scriptures, but also then to involve ourselves, commit ourselves to our taking part, our participation in that gospel work in our place and in our time. So that, to go back for a moment to the illustration of um, plants, the way for a plant to grow and become healthy. It's not just we, that we pull it out the ground every so often to see how its roots are doing. No, the, it's as the, the plan opens itself to the feeding and the, the sun and the rain. And in the same way, we do not make ourselves joyful. The way to joy is not looking inside us and trying to make ourselves different, looking underneath. It's looking up and beyond to the God who has chosen us, the God who has called us, the God who is at work in our lives. And it's the focusing on that that we have to make a priority day by day, not such that we don't do anything else, but to make sure that in doing everything else, part of that focus for each and every one of us is that daily growth in Christ— When we don't do that, we drift. Paul, to go back to chapter 1 in Philippians, finds himself torn between what he wants, whether he wants to live on and continue his ministry with all the knockbacks and the kicks and the suffering that that entailed, or whether he would be with Christ. But he recognizes that his fulfillment would be, will come through his being with Christ— for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know what to choose, he says, verse 22. I'm torn. But I want to be most of all in and with Christ, he says, verse 26. Do we believe that the Jesus who says, follow me, is a Jesus who wants the best for us? Do we believe that the Jesus who said that daily we had to take up our cross and follow is not some sadistic taskmaster, but one who deeply loves us and wants not only what is good for us, but wants us to enjoy that as well? Do you believe that's who he is? For it's in trusting and in following such a Jesus. It's in finding ourselves in the care and the embrace of such a Savior that means that we don't even have to tell ourselves to be joyful. Joy comes when we know that that's whose we are, when we know that that's who Jesus is who calls us, when we know that we are given that place and that privilege of being with Him and sharing in His work in the world, even in the times when it doesn't mean the circumstances are right and dead easy, even in the times when there's challenges, joy comes— because we're part of a bigger picture. And as, like the healthy plant, we, we reach out before the sun and the rain, reach out before the truths of the gospel and drink them in, so we flourish. And to flourish means flourishing joyfully. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us more and more to have the clarity about all that you want us to be and all that you call us to be. Forgive us for the times when we've not shown Jesus clearly and faithfully to the folks around us, including the times when we've let our picture, our our understanding of you slip, and we've not been filled with joy. Through your Spirit, Lord, grow joy in us. Help us to work at the growing of joy in us as we see who we are and whose we are in Christ. Most of all, Lord, might we do that, that we bring you glory. Amen.